Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Psalm. Psalm 96 is where we'll be. Let me just apologize to you as you're turning there for my voice today. There is either something uh, that is blooming and uh, wreaking havoc on my throat, or my wife is trying to kill me off for insurance money by bringing home these air fresheners that, uh, that are doing the same thing, death by allergies. So I don't know. Uh, could be either one of those. But uh, I apologize for the scratchiness in my, my voice today. Well, Psalm 96, we're going to continue to look at uh, this issue, this topic of the church gathered for glory. We want you to have a, uh, uh, a fairly thorough understanding of the design God has for us in the church. The church is essential in a day where people are walking away from the church and seeing it as optional. We want you to see that God has not given up on the church. He has not moved on to plan B. He has stuck with this plan for the church to be his means for making us like himself. As the following audio is from Abner so Creek Baptist Church. That, for uh, more information, visit Lord. Summon the nations to sing to the Lord. Uh, two weeks ago, Greg preached uh, about attendance and the heart and the value of being faithful in our attendance. He did so from Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I would just encourage you, if you were not here, uh, to hear that sermon, to go back and, and to listen to that on our podcast. You can go to our website, AdventCreekBaptist.com, and go to resources and go to the podcast, and you'll find it there. Uh, then the last week, Ethan preached, and uh, didn't Ethan just do a wonderful job opening the word to us last week? Um, talked about worship as we gather, this corporate worship, when we sing together, and more than singing, but it being Jesus-centered and Jesus-driven, and, uh, and Jesus being the means of our worship. And so I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, and you think, Ethan preached? Uh, I thought all he did was, was sing and, and play instruments. I didn't know he did that too. Go back and listen to that on the podcast. You'll be blessed as, as you do so. Uh, but today, I want to, to talk about uh, something a little different. Those two sermons dealt with our gathering what the church is to be and to look like and to do when we gather. But what about when we leave this place? Because we don't just come in here and stay. There's going to come a point where around lunchtime we're going to adjourn from here and you're going to go out and you're going to scatter. So what about when we scatter? Uh, I want you to, to do me a favor this morning. I want you to envision, think about the world, and I want you to envision billions of people a little bit of ringing in my mic. Is that, you guys are working on that? Uh, envision billions of people in the world um, that are right now uh, can't relate to either of those two sermons that were preached by either Greg or by Ethan. They can't relate because they're lost. Not only are they lost though, but they're not just lost. They, they can't relate because they've never heard they don't have a church where they can go to. They, they don't even know what a church is. They have never heard about Jesus or the gospel. They have no news that is good. The Bible teaches that without Christ, we are without hope in this world. So I want you to, to envision, if you can, just imagine billions of people. At this point, about between 2 and 3 billion people in the world who have no knowledge of the gospel. Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe the Bible? The reason I ask that question and the reason I pause there is because I want it to, to come, I want it to hit you, and I want it to be more than just rhetorical. I want you to actually process it and think, do I believe the Bible? Because if we believe the Bible, if you believe the Bible, then the reality, the end game for those Three billion people in the world at this moment who have no knowledge of Christ is that when they die, they will suffer for thousands and thousands and millions and millions of years throughout eternity in hell. That's not politically correct. It doesn't sound very enlightened to talk of a place called hell, but that's the reality. If we believe the Bible, those billions of people will suffer in hell forever. 
And then I'll ask you this question, should that fact shape us as a church? Absolutely. Should it have some bearing on what we do and how we operate, how we spend our time and how we spend our money as a congregation, as a faith family? Yes, it absolutely should change everything. But now I want you to draw in your your imagination and move from the three billion roughly people in the world who have no knowledge of the Lord, and I want you to pull it in to within about 15 minutes of right here. And I want you to envision the thousands of people who live within 15 minutes of this place who may have heard the name of Jesus, who have opportunity all around them to go to church, but who are not because they're dead in their sin and they don't know any better. Should that change us as a church? Should that have bearing on us as believers, as part of this faith family? I don't want to draw a line in your mind and and create a dichotomy where you say, well, we've either got to go to the billions or we've got to go to the thousands. I want you to see that we've been called as a faith family to go to both. We must take the gospel to the nations, whether they are around the world or they are here in our own neighborhood. Matthew 28, by the way, I could have chosen lots of passages to preach today, and I came to Psalm 96 kind of unwillingly, if, if you will, and I'll explain a little bit more as I, as, as I get into this. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is probably the most famous passage when it comes to this issue of missions and the gospel, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, some might say, Pastor, that's a great passage, but does it really still apply to us in the local church? The Great Commission, because if we look through Scripture, you're never going to find the title Great Commission. Jesus didn't gather those disciples and say, okay, guys, just spoiler alert, be ready to jot this down. This will be the Great Commission, and then start talking. He doesn't do that. So some would say, does this really still apply to us as a church, or is this just to those apostles and those early disciples? Well, I would argue that it still definitely applies to us, and I argue on this basis. Jesus said, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And I'll ask you two questions. Has the end of the age arrived yet? And then are the disciples and those apostles still around? If the end of the age is not here but the apostles and those early disciples have already died and passed on, but Jesus promised to be with them, hence us, to the end of the age for this task, I would tell you he was definitely speaking of something that would last and would be perpetual into the future for every follower of him from that point forward. The Great Commission is not just for those that were alive and heard the very voice of Jesus. The Great Commission is for us. It's for all of us who call ourselves believers in this day. Now, this passage is one that I could have preached. I could have preached Matthew 28, 18 through 20, but I'm not going to. I could have went to Acts chapter 1 and looked at verses 6 through 8. You'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I could have gone places like Romans 15 or 1 Peter 2.9 or on and on. There are lots of great mission passages, but instead I've come to a psalm. When I, when I knew I was going to preach on the nations, I really wanted to preach a psalm, but it wasn't this one. I really wanted to preach Psalm 67. And I pleaded, I pleaded with God, God, let me preach Psalm 67. Let the nations be glad. I wanted to preach that passage. But God kept drawing me to this passage, to Psalm 96, and I think for good reason. 
Two things we've got to remember when we look at Psalms and we study the Psalms together. Sometimes we come to the Psalms and we think, well, what are we, how should we approach those? Well, number one is they're in the Bible, so they are the Word of God, and so they are there for our instruction. But number two, they're songs and they're poetry. And so they're made to shape the way we feel as well. So what we come, when we come to the Psalms, we understand that God is, is going to tell us what to believe, how to believe, but he's also going to do so in such a way that our feelings are shaped as well, so that our thoughts and our feelings will come together and be aligned with the will of God. I love the Psalms. It's probably why so many of you love the Psalms is because you can feel the Psalms. What I hope to do today is not to give you the you ought to care about mission speech. Because if I do that, here's what will happen. You'll go out of here and say, I know I'm supposed to care about missions. And it will be a weight on you. And you will think, yes, amen. But it will not be from the depths of your soul. Instead, what I want to do today, what I pray the Lord does today, is I want to show you that for a believer, for a follower of Christ, admissions that taking the gospel to the nations is the natural outworking. It's the natural outflow of a person who is a follower of Christ. So let's look at Psalm 96 together. Let me read the entire passage, and then let's walk through it verse by verse. Psalm 96, beginning in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I want to pull out four points from this passage today. The first of the, is this. The engine of missions is worship. The engine of missions is worship. In other words, what drives missions is our personal and corporate worship together. It's fitting that this comes on the heels of Ethan's sermon last week. Verses 1 and 2, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name three times. Before any mention of missions, we're told, sing to the Lord. Before we're ever told, go to the nations. Before we're ever, we're going to discover as we walk through this passage that we're going to, in just a few minutes, find out we're to call the nations to sing to the Lord. But before we're to call the nations to sing to the Lord, we must sing to the Lord. Are we to go and ask them to do something that we are not doing ourselves? John Piper said, Our job in missions is first to sing. Could the reason that many self-professing Christians be so content to live a self-centered Missions void existence be because they have nothing to really sing about. 
I'm not saying that that's necessarily the truth, but it could be that if you're here today and you're giving nothing to the spread of the gospel, either in the neighborhood or the nations, and you're okay with that as a self-professing Christian, it could be that there's never truly been a song placed in your heart. I, I, I get this from his little three words there when he says, sing a new song, a new song. Biblically, it doesn't always mean uh, a, a newly composed song. In fact, what it means a lot of times is when, when the Bible talks about singing a new song, it means what happens when you experience God's grace in a new and a fresh way, and it results in just this eruption of praise and song from you. This ever happened to you? You're driving down the road. There's nothing on the radio. You're not, you, don't, you don't have any earbuds, anything in, but you just begin to sing to the Lord. And you're making up the lyrics as you go, and they don't make any sense, and they don't rhyme, and that's the reason you don't work in Nashville. But it's coming from within because you experience the grace of God in a new and a fresh way. This is what it means to sing a new song to God. When we sing this morning, I mean, there's a difference in singing and singing. Isn't there? When we sing this morning, Though you slay me, I will bless you. Can, can you sing that and say, God, that is true? Can, can you sing the words we sing? I stopped a minute ago and I just listened to you sing and I heard your voices and I think I heard people singing not just from a desire to be loud, or not just a desire to be heard. I think I heard voices that were singing from a reality, a spirit-produced gospel in their life. And that is a beautiful sound. I was asking the membership class, what stirs your affections when we meet together? And that, I think, more than anything for me, to hear you sing to the Lord, stirs affections in me. Psalm 33, 1 through 3 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. It means, look, if you've been made upright by the finished work of Christ, then it's fitting that you praise God. It's fitting that you sing to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, not with like somebody that doesn't tell the truth, but that instrument, that L-Y-R-E, make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings and, and loud shouts. I don't play an instrument. I couldn't begin to play an instrument. The closest instrument would probably be that thing, and it still wouldn't be right. You know, I'd just be beating away on it, right? And I'd be off time and everything. You don't have to play an instrument. But is there a song in your heart? Only when we have truly experienced God's lavish grace, only then will we be motivated to sing a song of praise to our God. Only then will we be able to be stirred to go to the nations. If you have no song of praise to God, then why would you lay your life down to take the message of the gospel to the nations? Why would you go to our neighborhood where they don't like Jesus if you don't love him? Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Do you see the connection there between him saving us and putting a new song of praise in our mouth with going with missions to the nations? Do you see that? He put a new song in my mouth. Therefore, many will see and fear that he's the Lord. There's this direct connection between worship and missions. Psalm 67, the psalm I wanted to preach. Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. It's a word there that means stop. Just think about that for a minute. 
May God bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Has God blessed us? How many ways has God blessed us? Materially and physically and spiritually. We could stay here all day. I could just sit down and we could just begin to list the ways that God has blessed us. Stop and think on this. And then that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. See, God doesn't bless us so that we can coast out our lives on what we've saved for retirement, wasting away on a golf course or the beach or in the mountains. Nothing wrong with those things. But if that's all that you have, if that's all you're living for in these days and you're not living for the glory of God among the nations then there is, John Piper talked about, there will be a sickness in your soul. And you want to know why you don't feel like you think you should feel? That's why. The engine of missions is worship. Second, the scope of missions is the nation's. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all the peoples. The scope of missions is the nations. By the word nations here, it does not refer to nations like we look at nations on a map or a globe with lines drawn neatly around so that we see the territories that these geopolitical territories occupy. It's not what he's talking about because within that nation, there may be lots of nations within that nation. What we're talking about here, the way the Bible is using this word is the way we use this word when we talk about the Cherokee Nation or the Sioux Nation. We're not saying that, that that is a geopolitical nation like the United States is a nation. But it is a group of people that are drawn together within a region by language and by culture that if you were to try to take the gospel in there, those would be, that's the largest group of people that you'd be able to penetrate before you hit a barrier. This is what we're talking about, these people groups. The joshuaproject.org defines it this way. A people group is the largest group within, the go- within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. In most parts of the world, lack of understandability acts as the main barrier, and it is appropriate to define people groups primarily by language with the possibility of subdivisions based on dialect. Don't you know that, uh, that, that the people down in, in uh, parts of Louisiana, they speak English? But it is a different kind of English, right? In the same way with the dark corner in different places around here, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's a different dialect, right? Such a list may be referred to as an ethno-linguistic list of peoples. That's what we're talking about. We, we see this clearly in passages like Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, which says, right on the heels of Ethan's sermon from Revelation 5, says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What this means for us, what this means for us is that we've been called to take the gospel. If the Great Commission, if Matthew 28, 18 through 20, still applies to us, we've been called to take the gospel, not just to Nations as they are defined on globes, but as they are defined by language and culture worldwide. Does this mean we should not care about our own neighborhood? Absolutely not. We should indeed care for our neighborhood. Are there there not people groups right here living in the upstate? Uh, are, Are there not language groups and cultural groups that are moving in all the time into the upstate that if they were to come in and sit down in this place 
wouldn't have a clue as to what we're doing and saying. Language is a barrier for them. I had a conversation with, with one of our church members uh, over the past few weeks uh, about a, a connection with a, a lady from Cambodia. And she's moved here, and she doesn't speak English, and she's looking for somewhere, some, some faith family where she can hear the gospel. And it just so happens that in the Spartanburg County, or in Spartanburg County area, there is a church of Cambodian believers that God has placed here, and we were able to hopefully connect her with that church. There are people groups right here. Jason Lee, who's a friend of mine, who uh, for the past five years has pastored Oak Grove Baptist Church in Spartanburg, who's now uh, the director of the Spartanburg Office of World Relief. He's been in the news lately uh, about these refugees, these 65 refugees that are getting ready to be relocated into Spartanburg. And he's been an advocate for the church, loving these people as they come. And I understand there are some questions that you may have. There's some, there's some debate going on about whether this should happen or not. But if they come here, then we as a church have a responsibility to receive the sojourner, to receive the stranger. There will be people groups moving in among us There are people all around us who don't speak the same language or who are divided by culture. We must go out and take the gospel to them. Not to mention the fact that there are people all around us who are simply flowing with the stream of culture, lost without Christ. You work with them. You go to school with them. Even on the campus of North Greenville where It's a campus that has its motto where Christ makes the difference. There are lost, lost people there. Your high school and your middle school and your workplace and your neighborhood, your social media friends, there are people all around us that need the gospel. We are to take the gospel to our neighborhood and to the nation's. R. Kent Hughes shared this in a previous sermon. Just one quote from him. Followers of Christ yearn for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth and into their community. There can be no burden for distant, unreached peoples without a burden for unreached neighbors. Christian believers see that it is their duty to cross over ethnic divisions. Christ demands a world heart. The scope of missions is the nations. Third is this. The, the reason for missions is God's supreme worth. The reason for missions is God's supreme worth. Now this is closely tied to my first point that the engine of missions is worship. But this is a little different. I'm, in my first point, I'm talking about our worship drives us to the nations with the gospel. But now I'm talking about when we go, we have, we have a right to demand, to proclaim that God is worthy of their worship as well. This is in the text. Verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Let me ask you this. What do we do when we come across something that we think is great? Don't we talk about it? Let me just tell you something. I was out the other day, and I found this umbrella. I know you think it's just an umbrella, but this was the greatest umbrella in the world. I mean, it just it kept me dry. Am I, am I wrong? We can talk about all kinds of stuff. Umbrella just popped in my head. We talk about all sorts of things. I don't know. It's, it's a sunny day. Why did I think of an umbrella? I don't know. My wife's looking at me going, What? But we do. We, we talk about the craziest stuff, right? We, we, we talk about it. We, we take pictures of it and post it, don't we? <laughs> Hashtag best mashed potatoes ever, right? <laughs> so mashed potatoes and umbrellas this morning. I don't know. All right? And we take this picture like, like the world was just dying to know where the best mashed potatoes ever were, were to be found. You know, and there's going to be this just stampede of people going to get the best mashed potatoes ever, right? Which, by the way, is in Mama's Kitchen. That's where it's at. We buy the jersey and we wear it, don't we? I saw uh, Ray Fowler a couple weeks ago. The draft, you know, has just happened, but it was prior to the draft. He was proudly wearing that Miami Dolphins jersey. 
Like they've been good anytime recently. <laughs> He's wearing that thing with pride, you know. You know, or, or Charles Madden with his Oakland Raiders looking to build, right? We, we, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not condemning any of that, but when we find something we think is great, we, we, we buy the jersey, we wear it, we talk about it, we post pictures of it. We, we put these little sticky window decals all over our cars. Have you seen some of those things? Like it's a family of Darth Vader's driving around in this van, you know. What is that about? Right? I mean, this is, this is what we do. It's like apple, you know, or... You know, like, Two apples and a bunch of little apples, you know, and, and uh, or, or Costa or Salt Life or whatever the case may be. We, we find something we think is great, and we want everyone to know. What's greater than God? What is greater than God? I'm not telling you don't have an affinity for Costa or mashed potatoes or umbrellas. I'm saying, what's greater, though, than God? There's nothing greater than Him. That's why here the psalmist says He is greatly to be praised. Charles Spurgeon said, he is, he, God is no petty deity presiding as the heathen imagined their gods to do over some one nation or over one department of nature. Jehovah is great in power and dominion, great in mind and act. Nothing mean or narrow can be found in him or his acts. In all things, he is infinite. Praise should be proportionate to its object. Therefore, let it be infinite when rendered unto the Lord. We cannot praise him too much too often, too zealously, too carefully, too joyfully. He deserves that nothing in his worship should be little, but all the honor rendered unto him should be given in largeness of heart with the utmost zeal for his glory. Nothing is greater than God. Therefore, when we go to the nations or the neighborhood, we're telling them, you're giving your life to things that are less than. There is one who deserves your affection. Also in verse, verse 4 and verse 5, he is to, to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord, the Lord made the heavens. Do you realize what a politically incorrect statement that is? We're supposed to go to the nations and say, hey, these idols that you worship, they're worthless. We're supposed to stand and lovingly say, your gods are false. There's one God. That is as politically incorrect as you could possibly get. But it is what we're called to do. Because it is true. What the writer here in Psalms is talking about is, these idols that you worship, they are blocks of wood. They are carvings in stone. There's some imagination in your mind, but they are not to be feared. Who fears those things? Who fears a block of wood? Who fears a carving in stone? The one who made the heavens is to be feared. But as you fear him, hear the good news. That he sent his son so that there would be no casting out, no condemnation, if you would believe. John Piper said, If people all over the world are under condemnation for sin and cut off from eternal life, and if calling on Jesus is their only hope for eternal joyful fellowship with God, then love demands missions. If we have the answer, if we have the truth, then love for the three billion or the thousands within 15 minutes demands that we are a missional people. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Spurgeon said men can mimic these things, splendor and majesty. 
but their pompous pageants are but the pretense of greatness. This ever happened to you? Like every four years, the Olympics comes around and it's hosted in some city worldwide, and every city tries to get bigger and better in their opening ceremony. They're like, man, how, how do they do that? You know, and they're doing all this stuff. But aren't you a little bit let down? That that's the best we could come up with? That's the best we could come up with? It's like 15 minutes of this grandeur, and we sit in awe in a stadium, and people glued to their televisions around the world cheer for this. This is the best we can do. You go to a football game, you watch Clemson or you watch South Carolina or, or, or some other team and you, you sit in there with thousands of other people and you cheer loudly and you walk away realizing that this was 22 men on a field chasing around a bladder filled with air covered in pigskin. This is the best we can do. There is fading. There's a fading glamour of human display with humanity, but not so with the Lord. There's 60 minutes on the clock for human endeavors of splendor and, and, and greatness, but for God, the clock never expires. There is no clock on it. He's eternal. Isaiah 28, 1 through 6, describes this fading glamour of human display, and it says this, All the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich uh, of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters. He casts down to the earth with his hand. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of, of the rich valley, will be like a first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate." You see, what we do when we go to the nations is we say to them, there's nothing that can match the worth of God. We say to the lost people in our neighborhood, we say to those without Christ in the world, nothing is so praiseworthy as our God. Nothing's worth talking about like our God. We, we say to them, nothing is to be feared like Him there is nothing that will not melt like wax in his presence. That's what we say. Fourth is this. The message of missions is threefold. I'll run through these fairly quickly. The, the message of missions is threefold. Number one is we tell of his salvation. We see this at, at the end of verse 2 and end of verse 3. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. In other words, the content. There's got to be content to the gospel. You've heard the ridiculous statement, share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's ridiculous because the gospel requires words. If you're never using words to share the gospel, you're winning them to yourself or to your behavior. There has to at some point be the connection. Even if your life does point them to something beyond themselves and they don't have what you have, there has to be some point where you say, the reason's not me. I'm not Michael Jordan. The reason is God sent his son to love me so much by dying in my place when I was a sinner condemned rightfully under his wrath. But he died in my place and he rose from the dead and I have placed my faith in him and he has forgiven me of my sin and he has declared me to be righteous and he is working on me every single day and I am dependent on his grace but he is the only hope of humanity. That's the content. You tell of his salvation. 
You use words. We have resources to help you with this. If you're not comfortable with this, we have resources for you. We can show you how to take your Bible and just walk through verses and show people the plan of salvation. We have little, little booklets called the story. We've got little booklets, the life conversation guides. But beyond that, as a believer, you're filled with the Spirit. Take the Word of God and invite a coworker to say, hey, at lunch, would you like to just study the Bible together? And you think, well, that'd be weird. That's just awkward as all get out. You know, it may be a little awkward at first, but there are people in this faith family that are doing it. And there are people out there that you work with that are longing for someone to show them the truth and the hope that can be found in God. So if you need help, if you need resources, come see us. Number two, the, the second part of the threefold message of missions is call them to, to, to worship the Lord. You don't just tell them, he's more praiseworthy than anything. You actually call for them to actually begin to praise him. This is called conversion. You're seeking for them to turn from their sins and trust in the Lord. This is what 7 through 9 talk about when it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. You're asking for conversion. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. There's none of us that can do that. When do, you, when, when do you finish? I want to describe everything you're due, God. Let me, do, let me get started. When do I finish? I'm not finished at lunch. I, I can't. He's infinitely worthy. He's infinitely glorious. But we don't not try. We worship in the splendor of holiness Meaning you call people to, to worship him and to live the rest of their life trusting him. You're going to slip up. You're going to fail. You're going to sin again. But when that happens, the Spirit lives within you to bring conviction of that sin so that you will turn from that sin, walking away from it by faith and trusting Jesus for the grace you need. The third part of this threefold message of missions is you warn them. You warn them of the impending judgment if they reject your offer of the gospel. It's what verses 10 through 13 say when it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar. Let all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. Listen, this may be a wonderful day for the trees of the forest and the grain of the field and the waves of the ocean and all that's in it. It may be a wonderful day because Romans tells us that creation is groaning under the weight of the curse, longing for him to come again. But this will not be a wonderful day for the one who rejects the gospel. And you warn them. Anybody seen the, these fields that are down 101 that are on my way home just filled with these yellow flowers? Just gorgeous. There's been more people pulled over and taking pictures there than I have ever seen in my life. Nobody was pulling over when he put the turkey manure on there that produced those. You know, nobody's going, hey, let me take a picture of that right? Sorry, that might have been a little too far. But anyway, those field of these yellow flowers, it just seems to sing the glory of God. I see that in the evenings when the sun is setting and it's shining across that field. And I think, God, you, you glorious God, you made that. And as much as that field sings today, He didn't even have a voice yet. In that day, when he comes again, it will be given voice and let loose 
to sing the praises of God. But in that day, it may be a glorious, happy day for the flowers of that field, but it will not be such a day for the one who rejects the gospel. The Bible here says his judgment of that person will be in equity. It will be done in righteousness. And he will be faithful. It means this. Nobody's bribing God in that moment. There's no one race that can say about another race, oh, they get special treatment. There won't be any of that because God is the just judge who will judge the sins of humanity. And if you reject God's offer of grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will fall under the weight of God's wrath against you rightly on that day. So church, here's the application. I'm running a little long, but I haven't got to preach in two weeks, so here we go. Application is this. Number one, if you're struggling with a lack of zeal for missions, I want you to pause and think over all that you've received from God. Maybe this would be a good exercise for you this afternoon to sit down with, with a journal, a piece of paper, with a computer in front of you, and just to begin to think of all the things that God has blessed you with, physically, materially, spiritually. Think over those things. If you're struggling with a lack of zeal for missions, ask God to give you a deeper affection for the lost. If at the end of both of those and you've taken stock of his blessings in your life and you've asked him to, to increase your affection for the lost and you still have just an eh about whether you need to go to the nations, then take stock of whether God has indeed given you a song to sing. If you truly have been forgiven of your sin, if you truly have trusted in Christ, because it could point to the fact, I'm not, I'm not saying this is the case, but it could point to the fact that you are still lost and dead in your sins. Number two is go. How's that for an application point? Go. Say, isn't there a process to that? Aren't we supposed to commission and that sort of thing? No. Go. There's your commission. You are believers in this room. You are filled with the Holy Spirit you have the word of God in the gospel, go. We have, we have college students that are leaving. I'm so thrilled to see this today. Some of them are, are, are like Greg said, leaving. Matt and Allie going to West Virginia this summer and Parker going up to Ridgecrest to serve this summer. You got JJ coming back home to, to work with our, our kids musical camp this summer, and, and we got guys in the booth, we got guys on the stage that are staying. I mean, we got people that are working in the nursery. They're, they're not waiting for us to say, and I, this is not me putting all of our college students on a pedestal, but they're not waiting for us to say, we now bless you, go with the Great Commission, right? They're just going, so go. Third is this, Treasure God above all other things by coming to all other endeavors in your life through that point of view. Here's what I mean. If you've got a new song in your heart because God has let you hear the gospel and you've trusted Christ and you've seen because you experienced his and you daily experience his mercies new every morning, then you view everything else through that lens. It means you view your relationship with your wife through that lens. It means that you go to work and you put in the effort through that lens. Because that boss that you may not always agree with and you think is just out to get you and he's really trying to get reason to fire you, you're not really working for him. You are, but you're really working for the Lord. Everything we do changes when we see it through that lens. So, those thousands of people around us, those billions of people around the world, who's going to reach them?
if not us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you that you've put a song in my heart. I thank you that I pastor a church that I believe is filled with people that can sing. God, I pray that you would birth in us a love for our neighbors and a love for the nations. That we would be burdened by the lostness and that that burden would cause us to go. Lord, I pray that you'd call out martyrs from among us who would lay down their lives and relocate to give their lives away to tell the gospel, call people to conversion, and warn of your judgment. God, I pray that from our faith family that you would call many to be senders, to be generous, to take what you've blessed them with and to invest in your kingdom by sending others that are ready to go. God, I pray that that you would put the gospel on our lips, that you'd give us opportunities, that we would take advantage of those opportunities, that we would do so because, God, you are altogether glorious. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and to respond. Maybe the reflection has happened all through this sermon and right now you're ready to just hit your face before the Lord. You're ready to just fall on your knees and just say, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go, Lord. Send me. Then I would encourage you to do that. Maybe you're here and you you need more time. You you want to be available, but you don't know what, what that looks like. Just pray. Maybe you're here and I can be of some use to you and helping you pray through something. I'll be glad to do so. I'm going to be seated right down here on the front. Maybe you're here today and you've heard the gospel. And maybe you've never heard it before or maybe you have heard it before, but you've never, you've never heard it the way you heard it today. And I'm not talking about the way I said it. I'm talking about it, it clicked and it made sense today. That's no accident. That's the Spirit of God quickening you to life. Turn from your sin and trust Him today. If you need help with knowing what's the next step, what do I do? I'll be glad to help you. I'll be down here. Greg's down here. There are others that that would love to to talk with you. There are brothers and sisters that are through those doors around to the left in a prayer room that would love to, to pray with you. Whatever God is doing today, Don't harden your heart. Don't put it off. Just say yes to the Lord. Let's be people that follow Him. Let's worship Him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.